you have probably experienced this yourself. I have been to a number of funerals, and the sad part of the funeral is often what people remember about the person. Where they're telling stories where you're like, are you really going to say that about those people? I've had funerals where the person is like, boy, he was really mean. He was really really something. You know, he just gave everybody a hard time his whole life. And there are all kinds of things that people are often remembered for. Well, he really loved this particular hobby and spent his whole life or her whole life engaged in whatever activity that was. I want you to to think about what your story is going to be. What's going to be your story that's going to be told? To think about at the end of the, the day, what would people say about you? What will people remember about you? And I think one of the saddest stories that is recorded for us You think about the life story of what is remembered is the life of Judas. To really think about what is recorded of him and how he is forever remembered as the betrayer. Forever remembered for what he did toward the end of Jesus' life. And and that's where we're at in, in the book of Acts. If you have a copy of God's Word, you'd open it to Acts chapter 1 as it was just read for us because here is someone who has a life story and it is well remembered in fact i'm not sure even still if anybody uses that name yet anybody call their kids judas it still holds that negative connotation on it It still holds that reminder of betrayer, reminds you of what this individual had done. And it didn't have to be his story. It didn't have to be his legacy. And that's what I kind of want us to talk about is the legacy and story of Judas and ultimately what his story means for our story and what that would look like in our lives. In Acts chapter 1, in the first couple of verses from verse 12 through verse 14, you have a gathering of the disciples. And what you have in that gathering is that Peter brings up the topic of Judas. And you can imagine what a sore subject that probably was when Peter says, let's talk about Judas for a minute. We're only two months removed from that betrayal. You're only a few weeks from when that had happened. And Peter says, we need to talk about Judas for a minute. And the first thing that Peter wants to say about the story of Judas, the legacy and life of Judas, in verse 16 he says, the Scripture had to be fulfilled. It's an interesting start. The beginning point of talking about Judas is that the scripture had to be fulfilled. Here's Peter said, remember what Judas did. Judas betrayed Jesus, led that mob into that garden area there on the Mount of Olives. He was the one leading the way and then was willing to walk up 
to the very face of Jesus. Kiss him on the cheek what you did for a friend and say, greetings, rabbi, which was the indicator to the mob to arrest him. And Peter begins by saying, you know that event about Judas? The scripture had to be fulfilled. That what happened concerning Judas, this wretched act of Judas, this betrayal that Judas commits, it was not a surprise to God. Then what a beginning point is that all that happened there in the garden. Everybody remember what happened just a few weeks ago? God was not surprised by that. That that whole event, God did not go, well, I did not see that coming. That was not according to the script. No, here Peter stands up and says, I know that we are troubled by Judas, but the scripture had to be fulfilled. This was part of God's plan. This was part of the definite foreknowledge of God. What Judas did was not something that was a blindside. That people said, wow, here's God going, I just didn't think that was going to happen. Everybody else was surprised. But God wasn't. God was not surprised at all. And I want us to see that this is going to carry through this text because notice what happens next. As you heard the reading from Gary this morning, I wonder if you think in your minds what I think when I read this. When you have verse 18, now this man acquired a field and with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out and the inhabitants of Jerusalem it became known to them and the field was then called the field of blood. Peter, did we really have to do that? Did, did we need the gory details about how it all ended with Judas? I mean, couldn't you just have said, and Judas hung himself and moving right along? Why go through all that? You know, and then he fell held headlong and he burst open in the middle and all of his guts blew everywhere. I mean, what, are we, what are you doing, Peter? Why are you doing this? And yet there's a reason. There's a reason that you have Peter doing that. Because you will notice it leads into a quotation. He says all that about Judas, and then he gives the explanation in verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms. Like, I had to tell you all that. Here's how all that played out regarding Judas. Not just simply that he hung himself, but the gory details of how he died... Because it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one dwell in it. Now, an important thing to always know about New Testament quotation. When the New Testament authors quote a line or a phrase or a segment from the Old Testament, They are never proof texting like, oh, by the way, that line was somewhere back there and I'll borrow that to make my point. That you would always know the context of the quote. 
Otherwise, he just let me let me quote all of Psalm sixty nine. Psalm sixty nine is a large psalm, and the point of making any kind of quote in the New Testament is think of everything that that quotation has, its surrounding context and its meaning, so that you would understand this quotation that I'm using. And Psalm 69 is a very interesting psalm. As we've been going through the psalms on Sunday morning Bible class, we've seen so many of the psalms are about a righteous sufferer. And what you have in Psalm 69 is this righteous sufferer who is praying for God to deliver him, to to act. To raise up and help. He's surrounded by wickedness. Surrounded by enemies. And God, you need to do something. Help this righteous one because I am in need and I am in suffering. In fact, let me give you the quotation section from which Peter takes the quote. I put it in yellow on the screen where he quotes from. Here's the context surrounding it. In speaking about the wicked, these evildoers... Psalm 69, verse 22. Let their table set before them be a snare and let it be a trap for their allies. Let their eyes grow too dim to see and let their hips continually quake. Pour out your rage on them and let your burning anger overtake them. Make their fortification desolate. May no one live in their tents for they persecute the one you struck and talk about the pain of those you wounded. Charge them with crime upon top of crime. And do not let them share in your righteousness. Let them be erased from the book of life and not be recorded with the righteous. Pretty severe section of Psalm 69 about the prayer of the righteous sufferer who is suffering at the hands of the wicked. Let God do something about this. Act on the behalf of the righteous. And so what I want us to see in regards to this prophecy is that no, Psalm 69 is not directly talking about Judas. You can see in the context, there's nowhere saying, and by the way, there's going to be one of 12 apostles who's going, it's not a prophecy like that. But you can tell that it can be directly applied to Judas. Here is one who has gone against the righteous. Here is one who has caused the suffering of the righteous one in an absolute sense. And what should be done to one who puts themselves in the camp of the wicked and stands against God and against his righteous sufferers? What should be the outcome? Well, here's this whole paragraph. Here's what the outcome should be. And notice Peter picks perhaps a gentler part of the paragraph about what is the outcome of the wicked. Why does Peter go through all the graphic and gory details about you know falling headlong and bursting open and all of that to show this is what happens to those who turn against God? What has happened to Judas was spoken of in the Scriptures. Didn't surprise God. And His outcome is not surprising either. 
what God had known would happen. God not surprised. Judas betrays. And the act of the wicked against the righteous has this outcome. The result to Judas is also not a surprise. We might note very well that is stated there, erased from the book of life, not counted with the righteous, is part of that quotation. Judas turns his back on Jesus, and in doing so, his outcome was what God said would happen to those who do such. Turn your back on the Lord and you will be erased from the book of life. Turn your back to the Lord and God's wrath will be poured out upon that individual. That's what that paragraph in Psalm 69 is describing. Crime upon crime will be counted and you will be judged by God for doing such a thing. The second quotation in Acts 1 verse 20, let another take his office, is of a similar function. The context of that psalm is awfully similar, describing the days of the wicked and that how the wicked will be cut off and another person will replace that individual. The imagery is that of let somebody else enjoy the blessing that is coming because the wicked person has for fitted it. That's the idea of what Psalm 109 is doing. The wicked had opportunity. The wicked had these chances. They had their blessing, but they chose not to use it. They turned their back on God. So let those opportunities and let those blessings be poured out on another. And here then Peter uses that and says, let that be the case here. Judas had his opportunity. Judas was able to be numbered among us. He forfeited that, right? He's numbered with the wicked. He received what was the rightful outcome for turning his back on God. And so let another have opportunity and enjoy the blessing of apostleship. That's what what Peter is doing here in which then he spends from verse 21 to verse 26. We won't spend the time there today, but he just spends the rest of his time saying, now let's select one uh, uh, that will be an apostle, one who was there from the very beginning when Jesus was baptized all the way to the point of the resurrection. We will choose one of them to be an apostle. As a wonderful aside, you can't have apostles today because an apostle is someone who was with Jesus at his baptism and stayed with him all the way to the resurrection. A long time ago when I was here, we had a radio program and the radio show that came on right after us, he called himself the the prophet and apostle, thus and so, I don't remember his name. And I always rub my head and thought, you must be really old because you have to be alive when Jesus was at his baptism and saw it all the way to the resurrection. That was one of the defining qualifications of being an apostle. And that's described here. And so Peter says, let's use the scriptures to show, let there be another because Judas has found his rightful place. Let's talk about Judas for a minute. Because what happens with Judas is a frightening story. It is a frightening story. Because with Judas, we see it is possible to follow Jesus 
to see him personally, to listen to his teachings directly from his mouth, be among the other disciples, witness his miracles, and still betray him. You know, I think we would read them and think that's not possible, right? See the miracles, travel with him for over three years everywhere he went, be part of this select close group of 12, listen to the teachings come out of his mouth, see the reaction of the crowds, watch the things that he did, follow him everywhere he goes and still betray him. Sometimes we think, well, you know, if I'd been there, it'd been a lot easier to have faith. You know, if I had seen the miracles, if I was able to be in the the circle of 12, if I was able to touch him and walk around with him and listen to his teachings, I would have much more faith than I would have now. And I'm going to tell you, you're lying to yourself. Because Judas had all of those opportunities. And he betrayed him. He saw the miracles. He heard the teachings. He was there when the crowds came. He was with him every step of the way. He is numbered with the twelve. Notice how it says it in verse 17. Because Peter wants to make it clear. He was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. He wasn't an outsider. It wasn't like the eleven and Judas over there. You know, we we tolerate Judas. He's kind of a sketchy guy. and We got our eleven over here. He is numbered among us shared in the ministry. He wasn't different in any way. There was nothing unusual. He wasn't, you know, kept at arm's length. He was part of the twelve. In fact, he was so much part of the twelve. Do you remember when Jesus reveals in that upper room that one of you is going to betray me? The other eleven don't say, well, we know it's Judas. It's got to be him. We've been sketchy about that guy in the first place. You know, he seems off. Nobody thought it was Judas. Nobody looks at him and go, yeah, you know, he seems to be the one. He looked like an apostle like everyone else. He looked like a disciple like everyone else. In fact, when Jesus hands him the bread and says, do what you're going to do quickly and Judas leaves, we're told in John 13, they thought Jesus meant go get some more food for the Passover. They still didn't key in that it was Judas. Point being... Nobody during all of that ministry thought Judas is a little suspect. Nobody looked at him and goes, well, you know, I don't know about him. He seems, you know, he's a Sunday morning only apostle. You know, you know, he's not one of those guys. He's not like that where you go, I don't know about him. He's numbered with them, shared in the ministry, equal in every way. Saw everything just like everybody else. Participated in everything just like everyone else. And that's what makes this such a frightening story. Is that it is possible to be false while looking like a follower of Jesus. 
And Judas is faking out the other 11 really well. It is possible to look like a follower of Jesus and not be one. It is possible to look like a follower of Jesus and ultimately be a betrayer. And I want you to think about the life of Judas for a minute. Did that have to be his outcome? Did that have to be the way his story would end? To ask it another way, do you think Jesus would have taken him back if Judas goes a different route with this rather than going and buying a field with the money and hanging himself and all that goes on? Do you think that if Judas had gone to Jesus and and pled with true repentance that Jesus would have said, get out of here, betrayer, I'm not going to have anything to do with you? I think there's two reasons to say, no, obviously that's not what our Lord would have done with Judas. Number one, we know God always takes the repentant. We see that all over the scriptures. That's what God wants. God wants the heart of the repentant. We've done so many lessons talking about it's not the sin that devastates us. It's how we deal with the sin afterward, how we respond, what we do next. That's where it's the worst. That's what we've seen in the life of David. What you did next is where you are so condemned. Rather than coming to God and begging for mercy, being repentant, what you did was you went another direction. And that's proven with Peter. It's proven with Peter and the rest of the disciples. Remember, they all said, we're going to go with you. We'll never forsake you. We'd go with you to the death. And then as soon as the mob comes, terrible verse. And they all forsook him and fled. And Peter amplifies it. Three times denies Jesus. What made them different? What they did after their failure. Peter and the disciples are coming back to Jesus. Judas does not. What I want us to see in the life story of Judas is that the only way we are excluded from the grace of God is by excluding ourselves. That's the only way you're excluded from the grace of God is that you choose to exclude yourself. You choose a path that is not repentance, not sorrow, not confession, not a change of heart and turning of life. We're going to see that in the book of Acts. Peter's going to be preaching to people and he's going to tell them, you crucified him. And he doesn't then say, and so you're doomed, it's over, no chance for you. Just wanted to let you know you're in big trouble. Bye. Repent is now the next words that always comes out of his mouth. You killed him. What are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? Here's Judas, you betrayed him. What are you going to do now? Peter, you denied him. What are you going to do now? We only lose the grace of God when we exclude ourselves from it, when we refuse to come back to God, when we refuse to repent and change our heart and seek the Lord with all of our heart. Judas proved that he was part of the wicked 
because of what he did next. And that's why he's telling that story. What happened with Judas was not a surprise to God. And his outcome is exactly what God says will happen to those who refuse to return to God. You're doomed. It's God's judgment upon you. It absolutely happened. God is going to judge those who refuse to turn back to God. But what I want us to see is that we serve an amazing God. We serve an amazing God because even with Judas, God is able to accomplish his purposes. That is always one of the things that's so mystifying about the life of Judas is Jesus knows who's going to betray him. Jesus knows exactly how all of this is going to play out. And God uses that for his own glory. We have to be stunned. I I want to do a series. I've been thinking about this for years. One of these days it will happen. But just a series of thinking about how God is able to take the sinning of people and accomplish his purposes. It's amazing. Now, the point the Apostle Paul and other places make is that doesn't mean you're okay to sin. But what's amazing is you can really foul things up and God can still work through you and use that and accomplish his will. You would look at Judas and say, this is a catastrophe to the plan of God. And Peter stands up and says, scripture had to be fulfilled. God knew this was the way he was going to save the world. God knew this was going to be the way it would all happen. God is able to accomplish his purposes through sinful people. And friends, that's a really good thing because everybody's sinful people. If we're waiting for God to accomplish his purposes through the righteous, we're going to be waiting a really, really, really long time because it's not going to happen. There's only one righteous. And as we saw earlier, he's on the throne reigning. And he's going to accomplish his purposes through us. We only exclude ourselves from the grace of God when we choose to exclude ourselves from the grace of God. What are we going to do with the opportunity that's before us that God can work in our lives? And you can look at your life and say, oh, but look at all the sins that I've committed. Look at all the terrible things that I've done. God will still work with you. God can transform your life. He can change the direction you're going. He can still accomplish His purposes through you if you will come back to Him. If you will return to Him with all of your heart. He will use you. He will change you. He can accomplish great things through your life. It's not too late. And so I want to end by just simply asking, essentially, what's going to be your story? What is ultimately going to be your story? How do you want people to remember you? It's fascinating to see Acts 1 and see, here's how Judas is remembered. And he is forever remembered that way. And all of us build a life story by which we are ultimately remembered. And what I do want us to see is that ultimately your life story is told by the decisions that you make. 
Whatever decisions you're making right now are culminating in various outcomes in your life that will be your life story. That's what Judas did. Judas is remembered for this and for taking money out of the money bag. That's the two things we get of Judas. He betrayed Jesus and he was stealing money. What's going to be your story? And your story comes from your decisions. Judas is making decisions. His decisions led to outcomes. Those outcomes defined who he was. We have a choice. What do you want your life to be? I think about this. That's how I use the beginning point of of like a funeral. You want people to remember you because, you know, you loved money, you loved sports, you loved things. You want to be remembered because you did terrible things. You were a mean person. What do you... I think Peter's remembered as a follower of God saved by grace. People like to look at Peter and you look at all of his life that's recorded in the Gospels and you think, man, he messed up a lot. Yeah, he did. You remember him for all the mess ups and mistakes? I don't think so. I think the only reason we like seeing those is because it makes us feel good that, okay, I can relate to Peter. Okay, I can mess up like that too because I have a big mess up also, just like Peter. We want to be followers saved by grace. Not false followers. Not people who are putting up a front. Behind the scenes they do other things that will ultimately lead to our destruction. We have a choice in the life story of how it's presented. What do you want God to remember you for? What do you want your story to be told from God's perspective? Have you ever thought about that everybody in here, their story is told by God's perspective? Ever thought about that? They have a, I mean, Judas has a whole life. Abraham has this whole life. Moses, Saul, David, they all have these years and years and years on life. And we get like three pages on these people. Sometimes you get sentences. That's it. This is God telling their story. What is your life story going to be to God? How's God going to tell your story? And I hope that we would see it doesn't have to be riddled with failure and sin. We don't have to be like Jesus and go, well, I've just made all these mistakes and it's unrecoverable. It's not. We can be true followers of God saved by grace. Or to say that one final way, Even though you've made your life messy, God can take that messy life and accomplish his will through you. You can make your life messy. None of us are happy that we did. But God can change that life and work through that mess and accomplish his will if you'll let him do it. If you'll let him. If you'll come to Jesus. Turn to him with all of your heart and truly give your life to him. Don't be a fake follower. Don't enjoy all that is offered, seeing all that Jesus is, and 
be like Judas and still betray. But to truly give your life to him and let him change your life. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for recording this message to us about your Apostle Judas. And Lord, it's our prayer that we would not ever, ever, we would just never look at your Son, see his miracles, hear his teachings, observe all that he did, and still be fake. God, we pray that you would soften our hearts and to always have the message of your Son penetrate deep within us so that we would always be convicted of our sins and always be completely honest, full of confession, pouring with repentance towards you. Lord, all of us have failed you in dramatic ways. We are sinners. We are ungodly. We are undeserving of your grace. Lord, thank you for loving us, forgiving us, restoring us, and allowing us to be your children again. God, we pray that not only we would repent of the sins that we are presently engaged in in our lives, that you would give us boldness and strength to seek you with all of our heart. Lord, you can change our lives. You can work with our messy lives. We pray that you would do it. Change us and mold us and transform us into the people you want us to be. Work through our messes so that you would be glorified in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. In a moment here, we will sing an invitation song. If you need to give your life to Jesus, we want to give you opportunity to do that, to turn away from your sins, be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, to see a gracious God who will take you back. What will you do with your sin? Jesus is here to take you back. If you'll come to him with all of your heart. Can we help you in any way? You can let us know afterward, or you can come forward while we stand and while we sing.